Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life. We are continuing in our sermon series on life's little problems, and you'll remember uh, that last week Pastor Brian talked about misunderstandings and how they can create problems in our lives, and today we're talking about fear and how fear as this emotion can lead us into uh, difficult situations we might not otherwise find ourselves in. And whether you are someone who experiences a lot of fear, you obviously would know some people for whom uh, fear is one of the driving uh, kinds of emotions. Now, by definition, fear is this feeling, and it, it has a physical component to it as well, where we sense this sort of danger or threat to our well-being and to our lives. It's, it, it, in, in many ways, the more primitive part of our brain takes over and we get that fight or flight kind of response. Now, that fear may be to uh, real danger or maybe to one that's kind of imagined. You know, uh, suppose I'm on a mountain trail hiking and I come across a bear. Real danger. If my, if my automatic primitive brain takes over and says run, that's probably the right thing to do. But suppose I'm on the trail and I'm hiking and I start thinking, what if there's a bear? I wonder if there could be a bear somewhere. Oh, there might be a bear. Now, I'm just imagining, and let me say, in all the years I've been hiking, I've never come across a bear. But that could lead me to say, oh, I'm not going to hike anymore. That could lead me to say, uh, gee, I'm, I'm going to be so worried, I'm going to miss all the beauty and the joy of hiking to begin with. So we can get fearful about things that we imagine. They don't even have to be real dangers or real threats. And our story from Elijah today helps us to see the problem of fear, and, and also to give us some things to think about that might help to break that kind of cycle of fear. Now, to really understand this passage where we get Elijah becoming afraid and flee fleeing, we have to take a step back. And I know that I have preached on this part of uh, First Kings before because I really love this story of Elijah. And Elijah is one of the great prophets of God. He is a, a mighty and powerful prophet who is often sent by God to do things. And in chapter 18, just before he gets scared and flee, God has set up this, this sort of contest between Elijah 
and 450 pagan priests of Baal. So the people of Israel are always doing their thing where they're thinking, gosh, those pagan gods look pretty good. And Yahweh is like, all right, enough of this. And he has this contest set up on the mountain where there's an offering of an animal. And uh, Elijah says to the pagan priest, you go first. And the idea is to get their God to respond and to consume this offering. So the 450 priests of Baal start to, to yell and to dance and to scream and to, to all kinds of histrionics. And can you imagine the noise, the cacophony of 450 guys going, come on down, come on? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens. And so after a while, Elijah says, you guys done? Okay, my turn. And he takes a bunch of water and he throws it on the altar on this animal. And then he calls on the name of Yahweh, the one true God, and fire comes from the heavens and consumes this animal. And then the 450 priests of Baal are destroyed, and God's people have chosen, hey, that's a pretty good God. Now, when you think about this story, God has shown up with presence and power. And in many ways, the odds were against Elijah. 450 of them, one of him, the odds are against Elijah, but God shows up. Now, this is a narrative you will find throughout the Bible. For Moses, when he goes to confront Pharaoh, the odds are against him. And yet, God shows up and frees the people from captivity in Egypt. Or think about David, this young uh, boy with a slingshot, who faces Goliath, the odds are against him. And yet God shows up and Goliath is defeated. Or think about Peter, who's in the boat and puts his, his leg over the side of the boat. The odds are against him, but God shows up and he takes steps on water. So often in our lives, the odds are against us and yet God shows up with power and presence. I know that there are those among us who have seen God show up at times against the odds. I mean, maybe you know someone who went in to the doctor, they got a, a cancer diagnosis, they were told it's inoperable, we'll give you some chemo, we're not sure what to do, and then a month later the person goes back to the doctor, they can't find the cancer. Against all odds, God showed up and there's no explanation for what's happened. Or maybe you've been in a terrible accident and you really should have been pretty badly injured, but God showed up and and there you are walking around with barely, barely a scratch. Against all odds, God often will show up in our lives. 
I remember when uh, I was in the Air Force and I had the call to ministry and I had uh, uh, plans to begin seminary in the fall. And, you know, I had some financial concerns because I'm leaving my career. And you leave the military before 20 years, you walk away with nothing. You, you don't get any retirement. You don't get any severance. You get nothing. And I thought, gosh, I, you know, how am I going to do this financially? But I know I'm being called. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, it's the early 90s. And it's um, the end of the Cold War. And so the military says, you know, we got to reduce the number of people in our forces, and we're going to have an incentive program, and we're going to offer money. Well, unfortunately, the program comes out, and I'm exactly the category of officer they want to keep. So I'm not eligible for any of this. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever. And then a friend of mine who's working for a congressman in Washington says, what is the last day you can put in your papers? Now, you've got to understand, as some would know, you can't just today go, I'm leaving tomorrow. It takes a, a period of time for them to approve and to get you out of the military. So I had a deadline. If I'm not out by, or if my paper's not in by this date, I will not get to seminary on time. So I told Bob, I said, it's this day. And he said, just wait. Wait as long as you can. Well, if you know me, I'm not very good at waiting. I would rather have this done, get my papers in, have it done, and make my plans. But I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And the day before I had to put in my papers, they opened the program to everyone. And I was first in line the next day, and that incentive to leave, which I was doing anyway, helped to get me through seminary debt-free. Against all odds, I felt like God had shown up. Now, I realize there are a lot of people who go, well, that was really a nice coincidence. Well, good, think that. But I could see the hand of God in the providential care in my life as I made this important transition. You see, against all odds, God does at moments show up in our lives and remind us of the power and presence of God in this world. And I honestly believe those experiences, those moments, are intended to give us some strength to face our lives, to remember, yeah, but that time God showed up. I, I can keep on going. But the funny thing is, as we see in Elijah, it's really easy to have God show up in a powerful way in one moment and the next moment, go right back to our usual stuff. Get right back into our usual fear. Get right back to the point where we forget what God can do in our lives. So here's Elijah. He comes down from the mountain after this magnificent event where God brings fire from the heavens. And you can imagine, I, I picture him, you know, he's going back to the city and to wherever he's staying, and he's thinking, let's see, I need a good meal, a warm bath, and then I just need to get a little shut-eye. And next thing that happens, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> Who's there? Mr. Elijah, I have a message for you. 
What is it? Well, I'm sorry to bother you, but Queen Jezebel says to tell you she's going to get you, she's going to kill you within the next 24 hours. That's it. I'm sorry to bother you. And off goes the messenger. And there's Elijah in that primitive part of his brain takes over and he makes a beeline out of there. Never mind that he just destroyed 450 prophets and that God rained down fire. He's scared for his life because of Jezebel's threat. Real danger, imagined danger, maybe somewhere in between, but he responds by fleeing. Now, if we follow this narrative out, it's going to show us a couple things that can help to break that fear and break that cycle of fear when we get into it. And, and the first thing to do is realize this about Elijah. We know he's worn down and he's tired. Because before too long, as he's out there running, he's going to lay down under a broom tree and curl up because he's so exhausted. Don't we already know, we say to people when they're worried about things, you know, if you get a good night's sleep, everything will look better in the morning. When we are not in a good place, that fear is more likely to take over. And this is a way of saying how important self-care is, right? If you start to get fear bubbling up, you need to eat well, get a good night's sleep. You probably need to go for a walk. You probably ought to stop and pray and listen to God. Does Elijah stop and pray? No. Surprisingly, he just takes off running. So the first thing this story is saying to us about fear is if you fear, feel fear welling up, you need to do some self-care, even stop and take some deep breaths. But then there's a second thing that becomes very clear about fear, and that is, you know, Elijah is, is running, and then the text tells us he has a servant with him. And he says to the servant, you stay here, I'm going to go on by myself. Mistake number two. You know, if you are experiencing fear, the worst thing you can do is say, I'm going to go it alone. The best thing you can do is to have someone else who can help you think about it and get you out of that reptilian brain and into some clearer thinking, right? So, you know, you go to a friend or, or to a family member and you say, I'm worried about this, and they start to say, well, you know, what about this, this, and this? That servant could have said, um, listen, Elijah, you know, I just saw something fantastic happen on that mountain. Don't you think maybe you could stop for a minute and think a little more about what God might do? And I would say this, if, if you don't want to go to a, a friend or a family member, then, then go to a counselor, go to a, a pastor, because when you start to speak about those fears, they are going to, uh, the power in that is going to be taken away. Don't go alone if you have fear welling up. 
But then there's a third thing that happens in this text, and it's just so interesting. As he's running, he finally gets to a cave in the middle of nowhere where he's like, okay, now here I am safe. And there he runs smack dab into God. He has run from the presence of God right to the presence of God. And God is, is saying and actually says to Elijah, what are you doing here? As if to say, come to your senses. Haven't I been with you? Aren't I with you through it all? Why are you afraid and why are you hiding out in this cave? Look, I've come after you. I'm here. Let go of what is holding you in fear. Did you know that the phrase... Do not be afraid or fear not, depending on how you translate it, shows up in the Bible 365 times. There is a do not be afraid for every day of the year, except for leap year, you can go to one twice which is a way of saying, you know, this is a central message that God is putting before us. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am with you. My power and my presence is yours each and every day, no matter what you are facing. I think uh, the Apostle Paul says it best in Romans in chapter 8, when he says, if God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And then he says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not be afraid. God's presence and power is a promise that we can count on. And if we are feeling fear bubble up, we need to do some self-care, including praying, and we need to be with someone else to break that and to help us realize that God is with us and working for our good. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.